Today's scripture reading is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. It's a pretty short passage, so we managed to put the entire passage up on the slides, as you can see. So let me read the passage for you right now. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let's pray so we can ask God to help us to understand his word. Uh, Father, give us this day your Holy Spirit. Open up our eyes, open up our hearts. Help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to feel what you want us to feel. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to take off my headphones now so it's a bit less distracting. I assume that you all can hear me just fine. Uh, and as you can see from the sermon outline, today's message is about mission. Some of you might be aware that before the circuit breaker started, our church was planning to do a sermon series called Life Together, which we later postponed because we felt the current sermon series, Anchors for the Soul, this series will be more relevant and more helpful to the church during the season. In the previously planned Life Together sermon series, I was actually rostered to preach on a topic of mission. I want to tell you up front that this is not that sermon. Um, this is not a sermon about what mission is or is not. And I won't be talking about some of the more difficult or challenging topics related to mission, such as the question, are all Christians called to be evangelists? Or to what extent is mercy and social justice and cultural engagement part of the mission of the church? These are all good questions about the mission of the church, and they are well worth discussing but I won't be talking about them in this sermon. What I hope to do instead is to explore some of the challenges and the obstacles we face with mission work during this season, and perhaps even during, not during a pandemic, and hopefully to provide some encouragement from Scripture. So let's see how that goes, yeah? Well, even though I don't plan to go in depth to discussing what is or is not mission, we do need a working definition of what mission is for the purposes of my sermon today, because currently as it is, Different people already have different ideas of what mission is. So my working definition I've taken from Kevin DeYoung and Greg Gilbert is this. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, gathering these disciples in the churches that they might worship the Lord and obey his commands now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. That's quite a mouthful, so let me repeat that again. The mission of the church is to go into the world and make disciples by declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit and gathering these disciples into churches that they might worship the Lord and obey his commands now and in eternity to the glory of God the Father. That is my working definition of mission. But even that too is quite a mouthful. So I'm going to simplify things further and perhaps at the risk of simplifying it a bit too much, I'm going to break down missions into three overlapping aspects, witness, evangelism, discipleship. Witness is letting the world see godly character being worked out, both in the collective work of the church, but also inside our individual lives. Godly character, our personal holiness, is one important aspect of our witness, is one important aspect of our mission. Second, evangelism. Evangelism is declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is done both inside the church, during our church services, and during our organized church events, such as Christianity Explored. 
But this also happens outside the church. Many of us find ourselves explaining the gospel to our non-Christian friends at various unexpected situations. More than once I had a student, a colleague, or a graduate school classmate ask me this, Mr. Wong, you are clearly an intelligent man. How come someone as intelligent as you can believe in something like Christianity? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, that Z read for us earlier this morning, tells us that to be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in me. Proclaim the gospel. And that is evangelism. And lastly, discipleship. It is not merely enough that we preach the gospel and then after that we pack out our bags and go home after that. We need to gather those who believe into churches, teaching them, training them, encouraging, encouraging them to learn about Jesus, but how to rightly worship Jesus and to obey God's commands. This too is part of the concept of making disciples. And this too is mission work. This too happens both inside and outside of the church. Much of what we do every Sunday morning is discipleship. But outside of Sunday morning, whenever we pray with one another, whenever we uh, read the Bible together, whenever we encourage one each other in the faith, we are doing discipleship. So three aspects of mission, witness, evangelism, discipleship. I also want to briefly say that these three aspects um, don't have clear borders between them. You see, your discipleship bleeds into your witness. Your witness bleeds into evangelism. So for the purposes of this morning's sermon, at least, we'll consider mission to comprise of these three aspects, witness, evangelism, discipleship. Now let's talk about today's text in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this is Paul's last letter to Timothy. Okay, sorry about that. Uh, let's talk about today's text in 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is Paul's last letter to Timothy, a disciple and co-worker for many years in the book of Philippians. Paul describes Timothy as a son to him. They were very close, but Paul left Timothy behind in Ephesus to minister to the Ephesian church. And that's how they got separated. But right now, Paul is nearing the end of his life. The Roman emperor Nero is cracking down on Christianity. He's in prison, Paul is in Rome. Paul knows his ministry is at its end, and maybe soon his life will end as well. He hopes to see Timothy again, but he knows that there is a good chance he might not. So in many ways, the book of 2 Timothy are like his last words to Timothy. The greater context of 2 Timothy chapter 2 is Paul teaching and urging Timothy to endure in ministry. He uses three metaphors to encourage Timothy to persevere. Be like a good soldier and persevere. Be like a marathon athlete and persevere. Be like a hard-working farmer and persevere. And that brings us today to today's passage. It's a very short passage, so let me read the whole thing for you once again. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The three points in my sermon outline follow the three verses in today's passage. Point one is verse eight, remember Jesus Christ. Point two is from verse nine, the word of God is not bound. And point three is from verse 10, therefore, we endure. The greater context of this passage is Paul encouraging Timothy to endure and persevere in ministry. He does so by saying, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. 
Now on the surface reading, this sounds a bit ridiculous. Timothy's a pastor. His job day in and day out is to preach the gospel and to apply the gospel to minister to his church. How could he possibly forget Jesus Christ? That's impossible, isn't it? Well, yes and no. Let me explain. There are two ways you can forget something. One way, is, one way is that it gets completely removed from a memory or you completely lose the ability to recollect that memory. You forgot where you left your keys. That's why you search high and low for it. Or sometimes one, when I'm walking and going through and shopping the mall, I hear someone calling out my name at shopping mall. I turn and look and I recognize that person as my ex-student. But for the life of me, I cannot remember his or her name. I'm unable to recollect the memory. That's the first kind of forgetting. Paul does not mean that kind of forgetting. He means the second kind, which is, it is still in your memory, but it's in the background. You're not thinking about it. And after a while, because it's in the background for so long, it stops to make any real impact in your life whatsoever. It's... Recently, I saw a post on Facebook. Uh, it was about Adam Koo, a local motivational speaker uh, who has been working for, for almost two decades. And over the past two decades, many schools hired Adam to carry out motivational camps to motivate students to study harder for their exams. Now, this Facebook post was written by a former student, and he was recollecting what happened during those camps. And he said that Adam Koo, he asked the students to close their eyes and imagine how much they regretted, um, or asked to close their eyes and imagine their parents on their deathbed. And I was assuming he's asking the, his, the children to imagine how much they would regret it if they failed to work hard at school. It would bring shame to a parents who have to die in a deathbed carrying that shame with them. And some of you listening to this might find this approach problematic. It is, and I will talk more about it later, but that's not the point of this example. The point is to illustrate what forgetting and remembering is. Do the students not know their parents would one day die? I'm sure they do. But do they think about it, though? Probably not. Most of us don't go around thinking that our loved ones will one day die. We probably shouldn't because bringing that thought out of the background into the foreground of your mind has a powerful and profound emotional impact on you. And doing so will shape your current desires and your current motivations. It was this emotional impact that Adam Koo was trying to elicit from his students by intentionally bringing the thought of dying parents to the foul foreground of a student's mind such that they would have renewed desire and renewed motivation to work hard and to study for the exams. So it is in this sense that Paul is telling Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, bring it out of the background into the foreground of your mind. Remember who Jesus is. Remember why he came. Remember what he did. And let that thought shape your desires, shape your motivations, shape your priorities. And let me pause here to say that this is probably the single most important thing to do in all of Christian ministry. Failure to remember Jesus Christ is probably the single largest obstacle in all our mission work. And let me explain what I mean. See, when I was a younger Christian, I would be terrified of the concept of evangelism. On one hand, I felt pressured to evangelize. If I fail to evangelize, then I would somehow fail to be a good Christian. I would be ashamed of my failure to evangelize. I would be ashamed to my friends in church, and I would be ashamed before God who I imagine is looking down from, at me from heaven disapprovingly. On the other hand, I felt pressured to not want my non-Christian friends to hate me or to disapprove of me. I was so afraid that if I brought up Christianity to them, I would feel ashamed before them for being that kind of Christian who doesn't care about them as friends, who only want them 
to tick off checkboxes in a Christian to-do list. I felt like I was caught in between a rock and a hard place. And no matter what I do, somebody will disapprove of me. And no matter what I do, I will end up being ashamed and rejected. So what was my problem? My problem was that I failed to remember Jesus Christ. Ironic, isn't it? We can get so preoccupied with learning and memorizing the four spiritual laws. First you say this, then you say that. If the person asks this, you say this and reply. I was so preoccupied in executing how to share the gospel that forgot the gospel for myself. And let me break down to you to show what that means. What was the main preoccupation of my heart? What was the main thing in the foreground of my mind when I was struggling evangelism? I was preoccupied with execution. I was preoccupied with bringing out good outcomes. And what lies beneath that preoccupation was a heart that said, oh, if only I could execute ministry well, if only I could bring about good outcomes in ministry, then, then maybe God will no longer disapprove of me. Because I was so anxious to earn approval, approval from people, but also approval from God. I was so focused on doing things which I believe will help me earn their approval, will help me feel like I belong. And that's what's preoccupying the foreground of my mind. I know that I'm not the only one who struggles with this. This is deeply embedded into our Asian psyche. I feel the need to perform well, such that I'm able to earn the approval of people around me. And that includes earning the approval of God. If I fail to do so, I will bring shame to myself. Sometimes, for some of us, we bring this psyche into evangelism. We bring this into our witness. I need to put up a front and perform like a flawless Christian in front of my non-Christian friends. We bring this into our discipleship. I need to perform certain tasks of being a good disciple. I need to perform certain tasks of being a good discipler. Why are we so anxious? It's precisely that the anxiety which drives us to burnout, to discouragement, and sometimes to depression and despair. Why are we so anxious? Because we fail to remember Jesus Christ. What is it about Jesus Christ that we need to remember? What about Jesus do we need to bring to the foreground of our minds? We need to remember who Jesus was, why he came, and what he did. Perhaps there's some of you, some of you out there listening to this who don't know who Jesus was, who don't know why he came, who don't know what he did. So let me briefly explain here. You see, all of humanity rebelled against a God who is completely holy and completely just. Rebellion against God is to tell God, you don't get to decide what to do with my life. I get to decide what you do with my life. And this rebellion is called sin. All humanity is guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. You are guilty of this. Now, God is completely holy and completely his just. His holiness means he cannot tolerate the sinfulness of humanity. And his justice demands that a price has to be paid for the sins of all humanity. And this sets up humanity with a huge cosmic problem. How can a sinful humanity coexist with a holy and a judge God? There is no problem for a sinless humanity to coexist with a holy God. But humanity is not sinless. There is no problem for a sinful humanity to coexist with an indifferent God. But God is not indifferent. Therefore, there's this huge cosmic problem for all of humanity. Now, one possible solution is that God could simply just wipe us out. And God had every right to do that. He is God. We were the ones who rebelled against him. But God did not choose to do so. 
You see, while God is holy and just, he's also merciful and loving. He was so loving and so merciful that he chose to save us and to provide a way out for us. And here is where Jesus Christ comes into the picture. Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is God incarnate or God made flesh. Jesus entered our world, born as a human baby, eventually grew up to be a human man. And throughout the whole time, Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. He was the only human to have ever done so. Never once, never once did Jesus disobey God. Never once did Jesus sin. He was the only perfectly righteous man. Yet, this perfectly sinless man was sent to die on the cross. He was crucified. And this was God's glorious plan to save humanity. Because the sinless Savior died, a price was paid for the sins of humanity. God's justice was satisfied. And at that cross, Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. And that's how he gets to die and we get to live. But God did not let Jesus remain dead. And after three days, Jesus was resurrected. He lived again, appearing to over 40 people who witnessed him alive. Jesus is victorious over sin and over death. He lives forever in heaven. The Bible teaches that those of us who recognize and believe what Jesus had done, who recognizes that we were sinners and we have rebelled against God and we desire no more to rebel against him, the Bible teaches that we become, or rather Jesus becomes part of us and we become part of Jesus. We are united in Jesus. And just as Jesus defeated death, we too will defeat death and we too will live forever. See, this is God's solution to our cosmic problem. This is a solution which brings the most glory to God. And this solution, God can be praised for his holiness, his justice, his mercy, his love altogether. And when Paul says, remember Christ, he means remember all of this. Remember you are a sinner. Remember God's holiness and justice. Remember that you deserve death. Remember your huge cosmic problem. Remember that God provides a solution. Remember that God sent Jesus to live a sinless life in your place. Remember that on the cross, Jesus suffered and died so that you may live. Remember that Jesus defeated death by rising again on the third day. Remember that you are now united with Jesus. And therefore, you too will defeat death and one day live forever. Remember all of these things. Bring them out of the background of your mind into the foreground. And when you do so, you will see there is no need to be anxious about earning anything from God. Jesus has already done so for our behalf. There is no need to be anxious about earning our right to fit in. Jesus has already bound us together by supernaturally uniting himself to us and in so doing, uniting us to each other. These anxieties and fears about needing to earn approval or needing to earn the right to fit in were never biblical in the first place. But let me say that we fall into this trap all the time. It's particularly difficult for some of us who have been brought up in an environment where this has been the only way of thinking and the only way of behaving. We cannot easily rid ourselves of the mentality that we need to perform to earn our approval from God, to earn our approval from people around us. Which is why all the more we need to commit to remembering Jesus Christ often and regularly. It may not be possible to do this every waking minute, but we need to do this as regularly as we can. Make it part of your identity. Make it part of something which shapes 
your every motivation, your every desire, your every priority. Feeling the need to earn approval is one kind of anxiety. And there is a similar kind of anxiety that some of us feel sometimes as well. Is that if I don't do it, then it won't get done syndrome. If not me, then who? This sense of obligation and responsibility is also perhaps part of our Asian psyche. And rightfully applied, it can be good and helpful. That said, there are many times we bring this into our ministry in ways which are not biblical and not helpful. Someone needs to volunteer to teach Sunday school. If not me, then who? Someone needs to volunteer for music ministry. If not me, then who? We look around and we see so many areas to serve and so many needs of the church. If not me, then who? And then after serving for three months, we find ourselves burnt out, discouraged, and depressed. A preacher I heard many years ago put it this way. Did we in our own minds think that our talent, our ability, is so important and so critical to God's kingdom that God would fret and be worried if I was unable to contribute? Do we think so highly of ourselves and so lowly of God that we think God would be helpless without our contributions? Look at Paul in verse 9. I am bound in chains, but the word of God is not bound. Paul is unable to move around and minister like he used to. Does Paul fret that God is unable to use his considerable talents and gifts and the kingdom of God is losing out? No, the word of God is not bound. God is completely sovereign and completely in charge, my friends. His word will go where he wants to go. He will save whoever he wants to save. Let's not forget that. God is the primary agent doing the work of expanding the kingdom, not us. Yes, it is true that God chooses to use us and chooses to use our efforts as vessels to accomplish his kingdom purposes. But this is not because without us, God is helpless. It's because when God uses weak, broken, and sinful vessels to do his glorious work, can we most clearly see it is God who deserves the credit and not the vessels. God uses us in our efforts to accomplish kingdom purposes because this is how God gets the most glory. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul compares Christians to be like jars of clay. Now, jars of clay are lowly, unspectacular, not very exquisite, not very valuable. But what's inside the jars of clay is the gospel, the treasure of immeasurable worth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Are we anxious that the pandemic has trapped us at home and because of that, we're unable to do ministry that we originally wanted to do? Are we anxious that I can't minister as effectively to the person that I originally wanted to minister to? Are we anxious that some churches won't survive this pandemic and they will close down? And all of that may be true. But God is not helpless, my friends. He will save whoever he decides to save. He will use whatever means he decides to use. God is never not in charge. COVID-19 does not compromise the kingdom of God in any way. We may be stuck at home, but the word of God is not bound. Many of you will find unexpectedly, you'll find new ways to minister to people. Many of you will unexpectedly find new people to minister to. Many of you will find that your non-Christian friends being more open to the gospel in a post-COVID world. And many of you will find that during this pandemic season, the insights and reflections that God has revealed to you about yourself sanctifies you and equips you better to serve God and to serve the church.
The word of God is not bound. The gospel is not quarantined. God can and God will use this season to further his kingdom. God can and God will use you during this season to further his kingdom. And you'll be blessed in the process. You'll be sanctified in the process. You see, we have this treasure in quarantine, stuck at home, jars of clay, to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And I hope that many of you find that encouraging. I hope you find it encouraging to know that it doesn't depend on you, your skills or your talents. I hope you find it encouraging to know that even your best efforts fail, even you don't um, even if your best efforts fail, you don't have to feel like you need to earn God's approval to earn the right to belong. But the fact of the matter is that ministry is difficult. Mission work is difficult. Trying to be a good witness is difficult. Evangelism can be very difficult. Discipleship is also very difficult. We'll struggle many times and fail. We'll be discouraged many times. We will face opposition from outside and from inside. And there will be obstacles from both physical and spiritual sources. And that is why in his last words to Timothy, Paul exhorts Timothy, don't give up, press on, have endurance, persevere. Timothy, you must endure on just as I, Paul, have endured on. And notice that verse 10 begins with the word, therefore, therefore I endure everything, says Paul in verse 10. So why can Paul endure? Paul remembers Jesus Christ. Therefore, he can endure. Paul knows that God is the primary agent in gospel ministry, not him. Therefore, he can endure. And that is why we can endure too. We can endure if we remember Jesus Christ regularly. If we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to ourselves regularly, allowing it to shape our hearts, our desires, our motivations, and our priorities on a regular basis. We can endure if we rest on the fact that Jesus has already secured our salvation and nothing more can earn us additional approval from God. We can endure if we rest on the fact that God is the primary agent and not us when we do ministry or when we do mission work. And let me spend some time unpacking what they would look like in our witness and our evangelism and our discipleship. First, our witness. When is witness difficult? Witness can be difficult in at least two ways. It can be difficult because we try very hard to put on an external veneer of being a good person, of being a good Christian to our non-Christian neighbors and friends. But this is exhausting and we cannot keep it up forever. Soon they will see through our hypocrisy and we will feel worse about ourselves. That's one way where witness can be difficult. The second way where witness can be difficult is when so many other things appear more important and more urgent to us. We have so much anxiety and fears, such as paying the bills, or how our children are doing. And what is the solution to all these fears and anxieties? The solution is to remember Jesus Christ. We need to remember our cosmic problem and God's grace and mercy for us and God's promises for us and our children. Only then can we rest in Christ and only then can our fears and anxieties subside and only then can our hearts develop the desire to prioritize being holy and being obedient to God. At the same time, only when we can fully rest in Jesus and trust that Jesus has already earned God's approval for us. Only then can we rest our anxiety to perform and the rest our anxiety to keep up external veneer because God's approval of us does not rest on our ability to perform well. Remember Jesus Christ. 
remember God is the primary agent. This is how we can endure in our witness. Number two, evangelism. When is evangelism difficult? Evangelism can be difficult in at least two ways. It can be difficult because God's goodness is actually not very real to you. It's difficult to force yourself to convince someone else of God's goodness if it's not very true to you yourself. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember what he has done for you. And let that shape your heart and let the gospel open your eyes to how, Je- how good Jesus is for you. Only when you genuinely feel God's love for you can you share God's love with someone else. That's one way evangelism is difficult. Second way, evangelism can also be difficult if you're anxious about how well you execute the process of evangelism. Maybe it's planning a program or maybe it's thinking about conversations with non-Christians. Evangelism is difficult if deep down you fear that if you mess up, then someone else's conversion to Christianity will be sabotaged. You need to remember that it is God who saves and not you. God is the primary agent in the expansion of his kingdom, not you. Rest in the knowledge that while God will use you in your efforts, but those he plans to save, he will always save. Nothing you can do can sabotage God's plans. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember, God is the primary agent. And this is how we can endure evangelism. Number three, discipleship. When is discipleship difficult? Discipleship can be difficult in at least two ways. Discipleship can be difficult because we find other things crowding out our lives, things such as our vacation and our hobbies, but also important things such as our work and our family. And we're just not able to find a bandwidth to commit to praying, to reading the Bible, and spending time for church community. The solution, my friends, remember Jesus. Remember your cosmic problem. Remember God's grace and mercy for you and how he has saved you. And let that shape the desires and the priorities of your heart. And only then, when your heart is oriented rightly, can you avoid the extremes of working too much or working too little. Can you avoid enjoying yourself too much, enjoying yourself too little. You can even avoid serving in church too much, serving in church too little. Discipleship can also be difficult because we expect to see some progress, either in ourselves or in others, and we get frustrated when we don't see the progress we expect. And this is when we need to remember that God is the primary agent, not us. As Z preached last week, God does not have a transactional relationship with us. Our relationship with God is not put in, it's not we put in X amount of effort. God rewards us with X amount of good outcomes. God is sovereign, even over our spiritual growth and our sanctification. But we can trust and we can rest in God's promise to us. In Romans 8, verse 30, that those who he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is the primary agent, not us. But that is precisely why we can have hope. Because God is faithful and will bring about what he promised. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember God is the primary agent. And this is how we endure in our discipleship. And let me end by going back to Adam Koo and his motivational study camp. Some of you know that I was formerly a teacher for about 10 years. And in my experience, such motivational camps and motivational tactics are quite prevalent in Singapore's education system. Now, why is that so? The reason is simple. 
parents resort to extreme tactics because parents are fearful and anxious that if they're unable to get their children to score well in exams, they will have failed in their duty as parents. They will bring shame to themselves and to their children. Teachers, teachers resort to extreme tactics because teachers are fearful and anxious that if they're unable to get their children to score well in exams, they will have failed in their duty as a teacher and they will bring shame to themselves, to their schools and to their students. And students, children, resort to all kinds of extreme tactics, including all forms of cheating, because they are also fearful and anxious that if they're unable to score well in exams, they will have failed their duty as students and they will bring shame to themselves, to everyone associated with them. See, this fear and anxiety to perform is all around us. It's pervasive, it is endemic, and I genuinely think it destroys lives of both children and adults alike. In such a fearful, such an anxious environment, Christians rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, safe and secure in Christ, Christians like that will stand out. Christians safe and secure in Christ is precisely the witness people of Singapore need to see. And this will be the witness who will draw people to Christ. This will be the witness that God will use to save many of his elect. And this is why we need to endure. This is why we need to remember Jesus Christ and to remember that God is the primary agent, not us. We endure, as Paul writes in verse 10, for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, help us to be a people who strive to remember Christ each and every day. Help us to remember who Christ is, why he had come, and what he did. And let it shape our hearts into being more faithful and devoted servants. Show us how sovereign you are and show us how much you love us so that we can trust and we can rest in you. Give us the assurance that once we are in Christ, we have the perfect love which casts out all fear and there's no more need to be anxious anymore. Father, we also pray that you will move our hearts to love the lost, that you give us opportunities to make meaningful relationships with non-Christians, and you provide opportunities for the gospel to be proclaimed. Remind us that we are but broken vessels, jars of clay, but that is precisely why we can show people how powerful and how glorious you are. Help us, Father, to live a life of holiness. Bind us in love for one another, such that the church can be a powerful witness to the beauty of the gospel. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.